Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good evening. Our Old Testament reading this evening was from Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, This is one of Isaiah's servant songs. Maybe you've heard that description before. Those are poetic descriptions of how the promised Messiah will be made known to Israel and uh, how he'll look, what he'll do, uh, and how he will die. Of course, we know through the, the New Testament and the testimony of the church, these inscriptions found their home in Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah of Israel, and thankfully for us, the Messiah of the whole world. But Good Friday is a good day uh, to consider who we think we are following when we say that we're followers of the Messiah. This servant song offers us a, a, a summary, a really a challenging summary of who our Redeemer is, and frankly, it's a summary that we are loath to, to listen to too often. Uh, it's, it's hard for Western Christians, I think especially. It's hard for American Christians, maybe most of all, uh, because Isaiah says that this is a suffering servant. This is a servant who suffers. Uh, Isaiah was ready for this, though. He was prepared for our, uh, our trouble with this because he says, you know, we'll be astonished by this suffering servant. He says that in verse 14. This was not the Messiah that many of the Jews were looking for. Let's be honest, this is not the Messiah many of us were looking for, either at least thought we were looking for. Uh, what astonishes us about this Messiah? Well, first of all, we're astonished by the way that he looks. Think for a moment about a hero, a movie, a book, somebody that you have, uh, that you think of as, as, as a hero in your life or even on screen, a warrior king. I always think of Aragorn. You know, Aragorn's perfect for that. You know, in the Lord of the Rings, if you watch the movie, because he only cries one tear. There's nothing more manly than only crying one tear. So, so that's a good one. Or maybe a Prince Charming. Or even maybe you're more of a dark brooder like Batman, right? Maybe you'd, maybe you'd accept Batman as a hero. That's who we want. That's our hero. That's who, that's who we have in mind uh, when we think about a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Savior, that isn't what we got, is it? In 53.2, it says, The servant had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. He was someone we did not look on with esteem. It says we did not look on him with esteem. In fact, Isaiah tells us by the time his executioners are done with him, he'll be so badly beaten, he'll barely look like a human being at all. You know, maybe, maybe we're willing to accept a little beating. Maybe we're able to accept a, a hero with a few setbacks. You know, even everyone had some setbacks, right? <laughs> but this one was humiliated. Who wants to be humiliated? Nobody wants to be humiliated. In fact, when we see somebody who's humiliated, what's our, what do we do? Out of politeness. We look away. We turn the other way, right? We don't... We don't Right. Just, we're just going to give you this moment to be humiliated. We don't want to be a part of it, but we'll give you the benefit of just not looking at you. And when we hear this, when we hear this out of Isaiah 53, we're like, is this the right guy? Is this the hero we were looking for? We're astonished that this first plain and then battered and broken man was the one sent to rescue us. 
But not only are we astonished by the way he looks, we're also astonished by what he does. The, very, the passage begins, the very first verse says, the servant shall act wisely. It says, so they shall act wisely. And then what do the, the next 15 verses do, or the 17 verses do? Does that sound like somebody acting wisely to you? It doesn't, right? It says, but what it reminds us of is that Jesus knew what he was doing. This wasn't something that was a surprise to Jesus. Jesus, like halfway through Jesus' incarnation life on earth, uh, he didn't go, wait a minute, what? You know, I I was not aware of how this was going to go down. He was acting wisely. He understood every step of the way what he was doing. He made a deliberate choice, and that deliberate choice led to him being high and lifted up and exalted. Well, that sounds wonderful, right? High and lifted up and exalted. Well, the gospel writers, especially John, whom we just heard, uh, really spells it out for us because John, of, of many of them, thinks we're a bunch of idiots, and, I, and he's right. And he really says, this is what he meant. This is what Jesus meant. He meant this was the way that he would die on the cross. He would be lifted up. Not a real ironist, John. He just likes to get right in there with the facts, right? That's what he did. Instead of being lifted up on a human throne... He was lifted up on a tree of execution on a dirt mound outside of Jerusalem. And instead of being the heavens being rent and people worshiping and falling on their faces before the God of the universe, a Roman centurion say, wait a minute, I think this is the Son of God. Some pagan, some army guy. <laughs> And during these horrible series of events, this servant, this God made flesh, you know this song, he could have called 10,000 angels. I don't know about you guys, but I would have called the 10,000 angels. Because when I feel humiliated, I want to remind people that I'm better than you think I am. That I have more going for me than I'm showing you in this moment, right? You know, don't be confused. This may look bad, but I'm the God of the universe. That's what I would have done. That's what I would have done. I mean it. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus did. Again, what sort of hero is this? Are we sure we know who we are following? It's so important that we're able to answer that question. Because in order to follow Jesus, we have to understand that Christ ended up high and lifted up and exalted in that way because of us. Because of us. And even that astonishes us. And maybe, maybe even we're a little incredulous about it. Maybe we're thinking, I didn't ask him to do that. I, you know, I'm not even sure I would. I mean, look, there are some bad people in the world. And those people may very well have needed something elaborate like this. I'm pretty good. You know, if you take if you weigh the good things and the bad things, I come out okay, I think. I, I'm okay. I probably didn't need all that, so that can't be my responsibility, right? Other people need a savior. I need a hand up. I need some assistance from time to time. I need a Santa Claus savior. But all that, that seems like a lot, but that's not what Isaiah tells us. He says, surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for 
our iniquities, as they didn't say his, he didn't say just him. He said our. He said all of ours. Each of us has turned to go his own way, and the suffering servant bore the iniquity of us all. Of all of us. We did this. We did this. All of humankind. And before that lets you off the hook, you're in humankind. We try to wiggle out of this condemnation, but if we know ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we ain't that great. We know what we think, we know where our heart is, and we know we need a savior. We know we need a rescuer. And if we don't, I've never been a Baptist, so I can say this, I think. If we don't, we don't understand what the kingdom of God is. We've got to turn around. I'm going to say turn or burn. I've never said that in a sermon in my life. But we've got to turn around, okay? Because understanding the kingdom of God is understanding our need for this suffering, broken Savior. So this leads us to the final way that we're astonished by this suffering servant. I kind of gave you the hard one, but I saved this one so you don't leave the bad taste in your mouth. We're astonished because he did what he did because he loves us. Because he loves us. Jesus did exactly what was required to save us rebels. If he could have done something else, I bet he would have. Just like the way that I said I certainly would have, right? But he knew what needed to happen. And he did this horrible thing that he needed to happen. And that horrible thing was a gruesome and undeserved death. He allowed it. In fact, in 53.10, it says that he submitted to the will of God to crush him. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, you just said it was my fault. Now you're saying it's God's fault. What I'm saying is, is that God so loved the world that he allowed his son to be crushed for you, for me, for us. That was the purpose. Not for anything that he had done. It said he committed no wrong. Verse 9 tells us that. But when God created human beings, he created them in his own image. And that means that he created us as under creators. We're not God. We're never going to become gods. Make sure you hear me on this. That's not Christian theology, you know. But we are created in God's image. In the God of the universe's image, have you been created? That means you can do awesome things by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can... Just do amazing things. Jesus said we can move mountains and we have a tiny little bit of faith. But it also means that we can rebel and go our own way and break God's heart. But you know what? This must be the most astonishing thing at all of all. God created us like that. He knew we were going to be like that. And he gave us this Savior anyway. This God-man, Jesus Christ, came and did what he did, knowing full well the type of people he was saving. Kind of is astonishing. I think I've used the word astonishing more than I ever have in my life, but it is pretty astonishing. There's this old preaching cliche that I promised I'd never use, but it really, really kind of works here. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross, but his love that held him there. And when we consider that truth, what else can we be but astonished? at the love that the suffering servant has shown by allowing himself to be humiliated, beaten, and ultimately murdered. And by all that we have gained from that sacrifice, even relationship forever with the God of the universe. 
So this brings us back to the very beginning of our reading in 52.15, when Isaiah says that even the powerful would be astonished. They'd put their hands over their mouths, and they'd be astonished at what they'd seen and heard. Verse 15 begins with this amazing sentence. It says, And so he shall sprinkle many nations. And so he shall sprinkle many nations. What an incredible language this is. This would have brought Old Testament readers and hearers to the idea of ceremonial washing associated with, with the way that they practice their faith. It should remind us of our baptism. When we, ever, when we do a spurges here, which I'm sure the Father will give to us at some point, we will, uh, in, you know, will remind us of the washing, of the baptism that we needed. But guess what, folks? Before we could be washed with water, we had to be washed with blood. That's what we acknowledge on Good Friday. That's what has to astonish us. You know, a few years ago, I heard a uh, self-identified uh, Christian politician. And I don't remember who it was. It's probably all for the best. Uh, he said that he was uh, tired of seeing Christians being pushed around. He was tired. You know, he, he didn't worship a cowardly Jesus. He worshipped a powerful Jesus. And in fact, he worshipped the Jesus of Revelation 19. Revelation 19, it's great, you look it up, but I'll, I'll read some of it to you. St. John says this, he says, Then I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I believe that day is coming, and I pray that day is soon. Lord, come quickly. But when that day does come, I have a feeling I'm going to be on my face saying the Jesus prayer, not strutting around like, I, you know, like I'm running the place. I just, just to be honest, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go, now nah, they're going to get it. Look at this. This is me. Face first. Every prophet in the Bible who solved any manifestation of God was afraid, usually fell down. Daniel passed all the way out, but that's another thing altogether. I love that one. But we have to understand that we'll never ride in that army. We'll never ride in that army. We'll never be counted among the triumphant righteous until we are sprinkled with the blood of this beaten, broken, and murdered suffering servant. That humiliation I was talking about, we have to share in that humiliation. The humiliation that we remember this very day if we ever hope to share in his glory. That's the path to righteousness. That's the way to heaven. So let's sit this evening in astonishment of Christ's unspeakable sacrifice. Let's come close to the cross and remember what it means to be sprinkled with the blood of God made flesh. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.